Get him stopped. Get him stopped. God and Moses both in a sidecar did not drive a sprint car with a thousand horsepower. I swear to God, he done a double somersault backwards. My car will go past wide open. Uh, my 50,000 came in a Twinkie box. You know, I get my jollies off over looking at a nice car wash. You know, he's going to crash your shit, but he's still, he's still got great stories. Oh, they disappeared. Oh, I'm leaving. <laughs> I'm leaving. <laughs> Inflated your old ball sack and you just freaking let it eat. It's all goddamn assholes and elbows, and if you ain't right, they'll send your ass to the rear. Hello again, everyone. My name is Ross Weiss, and welcome to Open Red, the official podcast of the World of Outlaws, NOS Energy Drink Sprint Car Series, and the Extreme Outlaw Midget Series presented by Toyota. Darren Pittman, our guest on the show this week. Of course, Darren, longtime full-time competitor with the World of Outlaws NOS Energy Drink Sprint Car Series. Retired from full-time competition a couple seasons ago at this point. Now lives in Texas running Ultra Shield, a product that makes racing safety products. You'll hear him talk about in the interview here in a little bit. Uh, but Darren uh, headed to Pennsylvania this weekend to compete in the legendary Kreitz 69K in the National Open, a race that has eluded him several times. So many close runner-up second-place finishes from Darren. Uh, but So a lot of great insight from him this week on what his life looks like now and uh, just the great opportunity he's got to hop on the 69K this weekend to hopefully, Matt, finally, maybe check the National Open off his list. So without any further ado, here is Darren Pittman this week on Open Red. Situation. Joining us on the show today, uh, several appearances from this guy in the past. Darren Pittman joins us on the show, and and, and Darren, it, it it made me laugh. I was scrolling my Facebook memories uh, this morning. Actually, three years ago today was the last time you were on this show. Uh, but you've had a lot of life changes in the last three years uh, since since that would have happened. For the people who maybe haven't followed as closely, kind of walk me through where you are now and uh, what you're doing on a day to day basis. Yeah, well, three years. I, I kind of figured if you were reaching out to interview me, it must be a slow news day. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, lots of change for sure in the last couple of years. Um, you know, kind of end of, uh, I guess it was 2020. Um, and uh, yeah, so we moved down to Tyler, Texas. Um, that uh, and we purchased Ultra Shield Race products. Um, that's where they're located at, our suburb of Tyler, called Flint, Texas. And uh, we've been down here since April of uh, 21, and still raced, uh, you know, a decent amount in 21. And then uh, obviously, I've uh, just been racing less and less, um, you know, over the last couple of years. But uh, business has been good. I love uh, the challenge that it, you know, brings every day and um definitely a different uh challenge than and racing and trying to do that competitively so um I, i've enjoyed stepping away um and it hasn't been maybe as hard as i thought it would be uh, but there's definitely some events that i watch and and uh you know you still get that competitive edge to go out there and you know want to run and feel like that you uh you know, could run better than, than what you're, what you're watching people do, but it's always easier from the couch than, you know, behind the wheel for sure. Uh, you mentioned the, the business you're running now, ultra shield. What, what, uh, tell people what is specifically kind of line of products does old ultra shield deal in? Cause I know there's a lot of guys that have been starting to use your stuff more and more here over the last couple, couple of years. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a fair, fair question. Ed. So ultra shield started as a tear off company. 
uh, back in the, uh, you know, basically mid nineties. And so that was their, you know, where the name came from, uh, you know, as a, uh, tear off company. And there was several around, um, they started building seats. I want to say probably in the, uh, late nineties. Um, and you know, the, the business has sort of evolved a little bit since then. And, uh, now, I mean, we're hundred uh, percent, a majority of our business is, uh, aluminum race seats for lots of different cars. Uh, we do uh, manufacture our own seat belts, um, window nets, cage nets, um, drag link toes, anything webbing related. Uh, you know, we do sew in house. Uh, we have a complete sewing shop where we build all of our interiors and all of our covers for all of our seats. And we've got a complete manufacturing and uh, fabrication shop where we weld up all the seats. And we do still do single layer tear offs as well. So um, it's kind of the breakdown of the, you know, the three main products that we do but for the most part we're by far i think most known for our seats um our seat belt stuff has started to really take off and and get a little more notoriety out there in the industry and that's something i was pretty excited about when i when i bought the the business was uh you know what i thought we could do with the belts and uh nobody really associated ultra shield uh with seat belts um although they had been doing them for a while uh, was something that we wanted to work on to, you know, sort of broaden our market um, for that side of it, and, and it's gone pretty well. So folks can hear the, l- the little bit of noise in the background. You're obviously driving as we're doing this interview, headed towards the, the airport, getting ready to go to Pennsylvania. National Open this weekend in the 69K. What does the National Open mean to you as an event? Yeah, it's so I think it was probably um, – maybe one of the first crown jewels that I became, I came really close to winning. And I honestly don't remember the first year that we ran second. I, I, I know Donnie, I think won it that year. And, um, Williams Grove just always been a tough place. And I think the outlaws for the most part in my era grew up growing up, you know, most everybody dreaded going there. Um, you know, we, we normally, uh, Steve was very good. Donnie was very good for a long time, but for the most part, percentage of full-time travelers just struggled and we got you know beat pretty good and i found success there pretty early i felt like in my career at a fairly young age and kind of understood i think you know uh how i needed to feel get around there and so i've just always enjoyed williams grove and my driving style i I feel like even when i was a younger kid i don't ever feel like i was um you know, an out of control gasser that, you know, that I think is more prominent and successful today in the younger generation. And so I've always felt like a, um, a disciplined, um, smart racer. I mean, I guess if I have to describe myself, I mean, I just, one thing that I've always prided myself in was just, you know, trying to maybe not necessarily be better, but try to be smarter. And Williams Grove is a hundred percent. It is not a, uh, uh, all out, racetrack i mean it is a very uh, disciplined uh hit your marks uh, you've got to really race the racetrack versus racing other cars and so i've always enjoyed um that challenge of it um and i think that's kind of what separates it from a lot of other racetracks um you know there's definitely some others that are like that but uh just the history behind the place and if you've ever been to one national open you you feel the energy you know you know, that it's a marquee event and that you're at a crown jewel of sprint car racing. And it's, um, you know, it's the biggest event in, in, uh, you know, central Pennsylvania throughout the whole year, hands down. So, uh, I think just to be so close to winning it so many times and, 
we've got a lot of wins at Williams Grove, just never a national open. Uh, it's an event that I look forward to, you know, every year. What are the characteristics of the Williams Grove Speedway that make it so challenging for a driver? I think the fact that you don't have a choice going down the straightaway, you, you know, you have to get in line. So you've got, um, where other racetracks aren't that way. I mean, if you're running the bottom, you can stay low down the straightaways. If you're on the top, you stay high and you've got an entire lap to make your pass. At Williams Grove, you don't, you've got two corners, you know, or four corners basically to get the job done. I mean, if you're, if you're not ahead, um, of somebody before you get to the exit, you know, it doesn't matter what kind of run you've got, you're not going to be able to stay to their inside going on the straightaways. So, um, and that's the one thing that's really unique. I think about the place is the straightaways just get so dirty and, um, it is single file hundred percent down, up, you know, very by far, probably the longest straightaways that's, uh, you know, in the country. And so you just have a really small window of, of racetrack, I think to use to pass somebody. And so there's just a lot of, you know, um, calculating, you've got to time your runs, right. And, and, uh, a lot of disciplines as far as to running the bottom, as far as, you know, overdriving or underdriving and, and even that, you know, it's the same for the top as well. I mean, it's a track that people ask me all the time, like, oh, you run around here wide open qualifying. And I'm like, no, I don't think I've ever ran a wide open lap around Williams Grove ever. Now, I know people that say they have, and there's probably plenty that do, but, like, I don't even try. Like, it's just not a, even, you know, when you're trying to qualify and run around the top, it's overdrive. And, um, you know, you can have a lot of short-term gains, long-term losses, uh, you know, depending upon, you know, what your driving style is at Williams Grove. As we said earlier, you're headed there this weekend to drive the legendary 69K uh, for the for the Kreitz team. How did the opportunity come together uh, for you to get in that car for these couple shows here at the end, end of the year? Yeah, I, um, you know, was probably as shocked as everybody to, you know, hear that him and Lance had, had uh, you know, gone their own ways. And so uh, it's a couple days after that or, um, you know, I reached out to Don and I've talked to Don several times over the, you know, the years and known him for a long time, obviously racing against him and, uh, just reached out and, and called and, uh, you know, I was fully aware that I was not probably what they were looking for full time and, um, didn't even really get into that conversation about what they were looking for, but I just told him, Hey, if, if you don't find what you're looking for, um, and, and you find yourself in need of a driver for the national open, that's really the only race that I was interested in coming in town and running, um, or, you know, really trying to prepare for, I said, I'd be interested. And, um, you know, he said for sure they would keep in mind and see how, you know, their driver shirts went. And then he, uh, you know, sent me a text right after, I think I'd even been on my way home from Knoxville or shortly after I got home from Knoxville and said, if I was still interested that they, you know, they wanted to do something. So we put a plan together to come in a couple of weeks, you know, before the national open to just get, you know, comfortable in the car and try to get a few laps together to, you know, feel like we could try to give ourselves the, best chance possible to, to go and compete for national open, even though we know it's, you know, will be a challenge without me racing full time. And, and, you know, they haven't had a full time driver or probably aren't racing as much as they were with Lance, but, uh, there's no question in my mind that, you know, the car is plenty capable of, of getting the job done as Lance has proven, you know, time and time again. So you went and ran a uh, night with them at a weekly Grove show back in the, the middle of September. Tell me how the, that night went and kind of what the first impressions were of the operation there. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was good. I thought it went really well. I mean, your first nights are always, you know, a little bit just a trying to get to know everybody, and and uh, they they've got a very large crew, and um, I 
you know, still Lamar, you know, I think five minutes after I met most of them, probably, you know, I'm terrible with names. And so you're, you're just trying to get comfortable in the environment and the situation and you know how good the car is. So, I mean, obviously there's a lot of nerves and, um, I thought it went well. We, we didn't qualify as good as maybe we had hoped. And, um, I think we ended up like seventh or eighth quick. We did end up winning our heat race, um, which put us in the redraw. We drew a six out of six for the redraw and ended up third. So, um, you know, I felt like we definitely weren't, you know, uh, the best car there by any means, but, uh, we were in, in the hunt in contention by the end of it, you know, we were right behind Lance and, um, uh, the 27 car ended up winning, uh, Peck had a flat, I believe leading. So he was probably by far the best car that night, but, um, was, you know, it kind of checked all the, all my boxes for, as a driver goes, as far as to, you know, your first night in the car, we were, extremely competitive. I felt like if we had drawn a little better, I mean, we definitely probably could have contended for a win if we, you know, would have started a little farther to the front, but, um, I'm confident coming in that, you know, we'll learn from that, you know, even though it was only one night and, you know, basically rely on their expertise to, um, you know, uh, improve on the car a little bit. And, and I felt like I was able to shake off most of the rust, you know, pretty quickly, uh, for Williams Grove, got a lot of laps around there, but, you know, it, there's definitely no, mis- you know, there's, it's hard to, to beat guys that are really sharp and racing night in and night out. So, um, I'm definitely not a hundred percent, but I definitely feel like we can get the job done with, uh, whatever percentage I, I guess I'm, I'm at at this point. <laughs> you mentioned knocking off that rust and running up, you know, against guys that are sharp and, and racing every week. What are those challenges that come with just hopping in a car for a, a one-off after sitting for a while, kind of how your schedule has been the last couple of years here? You know, that's probably a little bit different for everybody. If you want to know the truth, I know for me, I'm just terrible about getting in and out of, uh, of cars. Um, like I, I haven't drove. I don't feel like in my career for always driving for, for the most part, I spent, you know, 95% of my career driving for car owners and didn't really run for, I didn't think a ton. And so, uh, I'm just really, I guess, old stuck in my ways. And I like, I like stuff to be familiar. And so it takes me a while to get comfortable in a car. I mean, um, you know, every car, no matter what, it seems like they're a little bit different and, you know, is your seat mounted, right? Is it the same angle? Is it the same height? You know, are the pedals in the same spot Is the steering wheel in the same, you know, at the right angle front to back or height or whatever. So there's just a lot of things that from a driver's standpoint that, um, I've talked to other drivers that feel the same as I do. And then I've seen guys that literally just don't care. I mean, they can get in somebody else's seat. Nothing's theirs and they go out and perform, uh, what seems to be at a very high level. I I'm not one of those. I just feel like it takes me a little while to get comfortable and feel like, you know, Hey, this car is my home. And like, I can basically put my comfort level out of the equation and just go out there and focus on doing my job. I definitely spend the first few nights just, um, you know, trying to get comfortable with, you know, how my arms are reaching or how my feet are, you know, operating the pedals. So, um, you know, whether or not that's more of the norm or not, I don't know, but, you know, those are definitely some things that the fans maybe necessarily don't necessarily see, uh, we can get out and go out and maybe look like we're comfortable and, and things seem normal, but, you know, behind the wheel, there's a lot of things running through your head and it's like, oh, this, you know, this is going to take some getting used to. We, we certainly got to have that pedal on the right set up right, don't we? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. It's uh, I uh, 
I brought it with me and, and wasn't sure how that was going to go. But Don was, you know, Don expressed pretty clearly that he was, uh, you know, as picky as they came when he was a driver. And if there were certain things that he, you know, liked and wanted, then, you know, he understood why I, I wanted to. And if nothing else, it's not that I can't use other throttle pedals or use other things. It's just it's something else that's just on your mind that's different. And the more that I can make familiar, the quicker I'm just going to get comfortable and not have to think about, well, is you know, what's going on with this particular part or piece that I'm not used to. So, you know, there's a lot of things from a comfort standpoint. And then as well, you know, by the time you get past that, that side of it, you know, and then you're trying to concentrate on, okay, what is my car doing? You know, am I tight? Am I loose? What's it doing at these parts of the track? And, um, so you're trying to break down, um, you know, a lot and, and some of being uncomfortable can give you a false feeling about how your car is actually handling. And so, uh, you definitely try to have to sort of navigate, uh, you know, is, is what the car is doing. Is it really doing that? Or is it just cause I'm, I'm sort of out of, you know, um, whack with how I'm sitting or how things are feeling just because I'm not quite used to the car yet. So, um, you know, I definitely try to just take in everything the first few, you know, times to make sure that I'm not giving, you know, bad feedback on something that, you know, isn't necessarily what the car is doing. It's just more what I'm feeling. You're a guy who, who kind of, you know, holds the, the history of the sport in pretty pretty high high regard. What's it mean for you to get behind the wheel of such a legendary car with a guy like Donnie Kreitz as a car owner? legendary guy on the wrenches Davey Brown is the the crew chief what's that mean to you from a historical perspective to add your name to the legacy of that 69k car yeah I mean you know and absolutely I mean for sure I mean it's an iconic car that I grew up you know reading about and an open wheel when I'm sitting in you know junior high and high school in Pennsylvania was just a world away from you know Oklahoma and in a location that you know, I never thought I'd ever dream of getting to race that, let alone, you know, being able to actually go there and race a lot and, and win races and get to run against Don, you know, before he retired. And so, um, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I think, you know, growing up and seeing that era of, you know, the, the Hamilton 77 and the, you know, 461, and the 69K, I mean, those are iconic, you know, uh, central Pennsylvania race cars as well, you know, uh, Middlesworth potato chip car. I mean, there's just, it goes on and on, you know, a lot of different ones, Apple, you know, Chevrolet cars. So cars growing up that I was uh, in awe of the people driving them and, you know, looked up to those guys and then was fortunate enough to be able to race against them for a while. And, you know, now obviously the driver's side of it's all changed, but it's pretty cool to just still see some of those iconic cars still around. Well, as we get ready to wrap this interview up, I got one more question. I uh, kind of want to wrap wrap things up with but it's well documented how many second place finishes you've had in the national open what's it going to take to be one spot better this weekend yeah i mean i think uh just me personally i mean that's going to be the biggest obstacle i just got to you know go out there and do my job is you know, the car won last year i think the cars won uh multiple races in the last you know several national opens so um I've probably got more pressure on me than I maybe I've ever had going into a national open. And I feel like I've gone into the national open with, um, you know, as being one of the favorites, uh, I don't think there's any doubt that I'm probably not a favorite on, on most people's minds, but, uh, in, in my mind, I know we can do it. Um, I've just got to figure out a way to, 
you know, uh, give good feedback and go out there and do my job and try to compete against, you know, guys that are on top of their game and, and, um, beat him at one of the toughest racetracks to win. Um, but I feel like, uh, I, I kind of fall back on CB Smith a little bit, you know, winning a couple of years ago and he was running a part-time schedule and, um, you know, you definitely have seen guys that are good that can come back and, and compete. And, uh, I know the car's capable of it. So it's all about, you know, getting qualified. Uh, luckily we do get Friday night as, uh, as another, another sort of a test night that doesn't, um, have anything to do with Saturday. So, uh, if we can get ourselves in position to get qualified and uh, be able to, you know, start somewhere up near the front, there's no doubt the car is going to be good enough. And then just if I can remember how to go out there and get it done. Well, all right, Darren Pittman, on that note, uh, we'll let you go. We wish you good luck this weekend in the 69K at the National Open at Williams Grove. Thanks for joining us, sir. Have a safe drive to the airport and a safe trip to, to Pennsylvania. Awesome. Thanks, Ross. Always good to talk to you. sounding marking the final two minutes of the open red flag conditions well that's going to do it for us this week here on open red thanks to every one of you for listening a few housekeeping notes before we wrap it up this week please do not forget to rate review and follow open red on whatever platform you were listening to it on so drop a few stars leave a comment hit that follow button that really helps push the show into the feeds of people who aren't subscribed to the show and listening every week yet Don't forget to follow the World of Outlaws and the Extreme Outlaw Midgets on social media across Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. There's accounts there to follow one or both series everywhere. If you have suggestions for guests on the show, don't forget to tweet me at RawSweese and use that hashtag OpenRed anytime you have a thought on the show or a note to get to me as well. Again, thanks everybody for listening. That's going to do it this week. We'll see you next time on OpenRed. Hashtag OpenRed.